Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have with me Lieutenant Colonel Kathy Lowry-Gallowitz. Welcome, Kathy. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. Great to be here. Yes, uh, thank you for joining. And I want to also make clear to the audience that um, Kathy gave me permission to use her first name throughout the interview. And I was just mentioning it's important that we get pronunciations and titles correct, so I wanted to respect your title. Thank (laughs) you so much. Very gracious of you. Thank you. So let's get into it. Uh, So let's hear what you do, why you do it, and, uh, you know, a little bit of your background, because your background is, uh, you know, unique from some of our other guests. Thank you so much for uh, being a veteran champion, just straight out of the gate. A little bit about me personally, and I'll tell you what I do and why I do it, but you'll probably understand why after I give you my cliff note version of my life, right? So I grew up as a Navy brat, if you will. Just so happens April is month of the military child. Before the age of 35, I lived in at least 20 different communities between being a military kid and a military officer. My dad paid for nursing school. And so I joined the military because, frankly, love of country, love of our freedoms, wanting to support our freedoms, wanting to serve just growing up very patriotic. And then all those other awesome reasons that people join the military for things like the incredible people you meet from out the, from out the nation who really want to serve the leadership focus, the education focus, the ability to travel, be exposed to different cultures. And I really like the physical fitness aspect of it. So I've spent about 29 years in between active duty guard and reserve The lion's share of my career was in the Ohio National Guard. I was 20 years in uniform and then an additional nine uh, part-time in uniform. Uh, So full-time 20 years, an additional part-time nine years. The crowning achievement of my public service in the Air Force was to create a never-been-done-before statewide outreach office to educate and engage civilians in support of troops and their families. And Lindsay, this was done in response to 9-11, because as you are aware, our um, Guard and Reserve component had never deployed like we needed them to deploy in response to 9-11. So the support of our citizenry, in particular, the support of our employers was absolutely critical. So... During those nine years that I was part-time military, I also started a healthcare practice, grew it from one physician to actually three surgeons. It was an orthopedic surgery practice in six years from four staff to 25. And so I had firsthand experience hiring military people and really seeing the impact that they can make in the workforce. I've also been a volunteer member of the Ohio Small Business Council Board of Governors. I also ran a chamber of commerce, was involved peripherally in economic development, but um, really got a profound appreciation for the role of small business in our economy. And I've just always been an avid, um, very curious and interested in workforce because, um, you know, our, our jobs really kind of our identity. They are a lot of our have to do with our self-esteem. 
and they're just absolutely critical to uh, promote our quality of well-being. So when I had moved to a small town, Lancaster, Ohio, after my first husband got off active duty, and then I got off active duty, I started to fully appreciate how different my life had been when I actually went to a funeral of a business colleague. And I was like, you know, I've never really been to a funeral. You know, I'd never lived anywhere long enough to get to know, let's say, the the lady down the street who has cancer. Maybe my, you know, my grandparents, but outside, but outside of my immediate family, I'd never been to a funeral. Oh, by the way, people in the military are typically pretty healthy. Now, I'm not a combat veteran, so in contrast to my husband, who is a combat veteran and a career active Army soldier. He's been to a lot of funerals and seen seen a lot of loss through his combat experience. So um, as the director of community outreach for the Ohio National Guard and in my own personal experiences, feeling, you know, just kind of different from mainstream America, um, it's really my life's calling to help civilians understand how to support military connected people, because I've seen firsthand, Lindsay, firsthand how rewarding, satisfying it is for people who haven't served to know how to do this well, and frankly, the, the great impact and uh, how, how just the smallest of contributions can really promote quality of life, workforce, and community. Yeah, and one thing that surprised me when talking with you is just how uh, much of a sh- culture shock uh, a lot of veterans have when they go into your typical office environment. Um, and could you talk a little bit about kind of that what that assimilation will looks like for a veteran? Sure. Thank you for asking that question. You know, when we spend a lot of time in uniform, we're used to being in a pretty hierarchical organization that has a lot of rank and a very clear decision making process and a very clear route for advancement, okay? Um, The mission is always first and foremost. We are very team-oriented, and we like to say there's no I in team. And uh, just uh, anecdotally, I was in uh, at the 121st Air Refueling Wing in Columbus, Ohio. At the time, it was the largest air refueling wing in the Air National Guard, and I was doing media relations, right? And so I was trying to get the pilots to – you know, talk about themselves, to share our mission, to to really um, celebrate uh, all the great things that they were that that we were doing as a unit, and they were very reluctant. Uh, frankly, and I, it may, some of it may have been shyness about you know public speaking or whatever, but really it was more about sort of showcasing one person over the other because it's it's awkward, uncomfortable for us to say, "Look at me." And um, because it's all about the team and we and the mission. The other thing that's a little different about military people culturally is that we can tend to be very task oriented and, and, and very direct because by golly, we got to get her done, you know, and, and get her done mentality. Um, and, and, you know, maybe translate into maybe a little bit of impatience or, um, you know, frankly, in, in my life, um, <laughs> I have to remember to go back up to the front part of my email and, and be friendly and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Because I'm, I'm so driven by what I need to take, what I want, you know, I'm task oriented. I want to get the job done. 
And so, if you will, small talk may not be a strength of ours. And um, um, and so these, this translates into, you know, how you would interview a military veteran. And then, you know, uh, it, another anecdote. So I had this uh, reporter interview me about my experience as a female veteran. And we talked for an hour. And the, the one thing that he quoted was that when I was interviewed before, um, for several, you know, civilian position I'd interviewed for over the years, I was always trying to be uh, terribly sensitive to how or if I might come across as being bossy. Okay. Now, in, again, for women, you know, it's 15% of the force, right? And so you have to kind of know how to get your voice heard, right? But, you know, leadership is leadership, no matter whether they're in uniform or not in uniform. A good communication approach is, is uh, effective, whether or not you're in uniform. But, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, the cultural distinctions between military and civilian life Sometimes civilians can say, gosh, that person's a little direct or, you know, maybe they might come across a little bossy. Um, but, you know, uh, the lines of authority and decision making are very clear in the military. And they, excuse my French, ain't so clear often, right, out, out, out in civilian life. And so uh, military people oftentimes just really feel lost and disconnected when they're when they're transitioning. And so that's that's the one of the, the biggest points I want to make. And, and research shows that of the 2.6 million Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, about 55% feel disconnected from mainstream America. And, and anywhere from a quarter to a half, you know, may struggle with social functioning. Uh, it's, it's clear to us how to function with our peers, our subordinates, how to respect our superiors in the military. But all those lines blur when you take off the uniform. And so, um, you know, being involved in the community, um, certainly being optimally prepared for the job market, we're still kind of behind the eight ball in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like we talk a lot about PTSD when talking about veterans. And uh, I know that you have a very interesting stat on that. Um, But we don't talk about that, you know, assimilating back into civilian life and because that, you know, that has its own set of challenges. Um, yeah, go ahead. Could I, could I touch on that just a minute, please? Yes. Um, and so excitingly, we are finding that post-traumatic growth is a very real thing. You're shaking your head. So that means you know about it, right? And it's a very real thing for people who have experienced the com- the, the trauma of combat, Right. Um, and I would suggest, uh, and I believe that my husband is a prime example of post-traumatic growth. He came f- away from his combat experience with this very positive outlook on life. And, you know, I'll never know. I don't know how much longer I'll be here. I appreciate every day. So he he really has a uh, almost a Pollyannic type of view of life, whereas at the same time, it's very difficult to gain his trust. Right. And that's not and that's not unusual for people who've been in the military, they have a very um, high sensitivity to insincerity. They, they kind of sniff that out quickly. But go back to PTSD for just a minute. So the VA tells us that Iraq and Afghanistan veterans have about a 20% incidence 
of PTSD. So what does that mean? 80% do not. And, you know, I know the media kind of perpetuates the stereotype that, you know, veterans can be dangerous if they have PTSD. And, you know, certainly there's people who who are just making terrible mistakes. Um, but that, that sens- sensationalism, if you will, doesn't do the resiliency and the um, the growth and and, and 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 it hurts the people who are really doing well because despite a diagnosis of PTSD, Lindsay, people who are triggered by PTSD in most cases, in most cases, go on to learn how to manage their triggers and have very full lives. So, um, and, and when about two thirds of our society experiences some sort of trauma, golly, be it you know domestic violence, rape, um, car accidents, divorce, um, you know, many many of us experience trauma that can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's really more likely that you'll meet some a civilian, someone who's never served, you'll meet a civilian who has PTSD as compared to a veteran. Why? Because there's so few mili- people who have really served in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like how you use sensationalized. I, I think that's a, a great way to describe, you know, that you know, what, how PTSD has been portrayed. Um, yeah. When there's actually, you know, there's so many wonderful values and traits within veterans that, you know, can translate to the workforce. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the positives? Absolutely. Um, as you probably are aware the society of human resource management foundation, they do a lot of great research for untapped potential underserved populations of workers. And so back in about 2019, they ha- they came out with a Veterans at Work certificate. Very proud of them. That's free for anybody. You do not have to be a member of SHRM to take it. But one of their research studies showed that 68% of employers find veterans to be better than, if not much better than, their civilian counterparts. Why is that? Why is that? Because we have a get-or-done philosophy. They're commit, we're committed to the mission, and we're loyal to the mission, and we have leadership training. We're, we're team builders. We train our subordinates to you know, take, up, take over our jobs. We're risk managers. We know how to deal with crisis. We're technologically savvy. And, and, I, and I contend that in this era of COVID, My golly, who more should you lean on to help you recover and establish your new normal than a a service member who has dealt with lots of change, who understands technology, who knows how to write policies and procedures? Because, you know, in the military, there's lots of regulations and a lot of guidance about how to do your job. And, um, you know, more often than not, pretty decent communicators uh, for getting the job done. And, you know, they know how to manage crisis. They, they, they have, have had to learn to be resilient, if nothing else, because of the moving that's required, if nothing else, because of the diversity of the people in the military. But of course, people who have 
experience the dynamic and difficult and dangerous environment of combat or close to combat support. Um, you know, they have another incredible skill set. And, uh, and oh, by the way, please remember that we are wired to serve. We are wired to build teams and we love to produce and, um, and, and, and be productive. And so more research suggests and shows that because of the lower absenteeism and the increased productivity, that cost savings can also be generated for organizations who hire and retain veteran talent well. But there's a, there's a few steps and some understandings and some investment that's needed to, if you will, generate those cost savings and really leverage the skill sets that military veterans bring to the workforce and their spouses, by the way. Yeah. So, Kathy, when a veteran goes to apply for a position, um, what should HR leaders know when they apply? Um, you know, do they have any challenges during the typical application interview process? Um, you know, do they have any strengths? Um, you know, what's that like? Okay. So, first, I think being aware that in some cases, probably your younger uh, job seekers. In some cases, they may not have ever had a civilian job interview, depending upon when they joined the military. So they're going to be nervous. Their body posture may be rigid because we're taught to stand up straight, hold our hands a certain way. I mean, it's just there's so many pieces and parts about how to have appropriate military bearing. And it takes a while to remove that. Of course, they'll probably say, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, sir. And it, it, it's it's not that they want to make you feel uncomfortable, but that's just their mindset, and they're trying to show respect. Uh, I want to emphasize that our junior military people, more often than not, have had incredible amounts of responsibility, be it with equipment or life-saving, if you will, if they've been in combat, or you know, just oftentimes a lot of responsibility, a seriousness of purpose that you might find very different from a same-aged civilian person who's interviewing. Military member skills are highly, highly transferable. So let's say, well, there's. let's talk about military skills translators. ONET, O apostrophe N-E-T is one of the best ones I'm aware of because you can go in there and put a uh, MOS for the Army, an AFSC for the Air Force. I was 29 years in the Air Force, but you can put the job, the military job classification in the military skills translator and it will pop up, it will pop up the jobs, the civilian jobs that that military job prepared you for. Wow. Okay. Can I give you another quick story? Yes, please. Okay. In the Army, there's something called an 11 Bravo, 11B. That is an infantryman. And an infantryman, as you probably know, is or woman, is the person who is trained to go to the to the, to combat into the battlefield, and actually do the really tough work of carrying a weapon and making things safe, or you know, taking lives, right? And so they are fundamentally the boots on the ground warriors. And there's a lot of other service members who do this, but this is the, the example that I'm most familiar with. If you put in an 11 Bravo into ONET, it will come up with, believe it or not, 
the top job or the, at the top of the list is a training and development manager. Mm. Well, by golly, right? You would never think of such a thing, yeah. right? Well, why is that? Because the knowledge, skills, and abilities of all the other things that an infantry man or woman would learn in the military and all the other experiences that we have in the military prepare you to do that and many other jobs. So I, I implore you, I encourage you to take a risk on a, on a military job seeker who may not have the exact job that you want them to do on their resume, but their foundational character, values, work ethic, you know, ability to learn because we train, 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 and then we train, train, train some more. You know, they can just, they can step into the roles that you want them to do, you know, if it's a good good fit for attitude and aptitude with, with a little bit of coaching, you know, a, a medium amount of support, okay? Um, but over and over again, there are, you know, lots of examples of people who who do just that. So talking about the importance of onboarding, because that is what sets a person up for success within a role. Yes. Uh, thank you. So that's, you know, part of the coaching and part of the support. I would encourage HR communities to do two things. One, to maybe make it a little longer than you might for a civilian employee, especially a civilian employee who's familiar with the, the same kind of job or whatever. Um, I'd recommend maybe a year and, you know, have a checklist so that you actually go through it. You know, just like any employee, you have frequent uh, discussions, frequent contact. The thing I think that's probably a little unique for a military member is to have two, I'll call them sponsors or champions inside the workforce. One is a veteran. The other is a civilian. Um, the other unique thing about military people is that we are not people that ask for help easily. Um. Help seeking behavior is not typically part of our DNA, be it for physical health, mental health, or be it for just being at work and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. Pe military people are, you know, pretty stoic. So if you have a veteran who is right alongside with this new veteran hire, then the new hire is going to be probably more likely to say, you know, I'm completely lost. What are they talking about? You know, what do I do next? Please interpret these policies, how are decisions made, that sort of thing. And then also a civilian, maybe not the supervisor, maybe depending on the dynamics, another civilian who um, can, can be their, uh, I'll just say battle buddy, you know, really help them get their feet under their ground and be someone that has time on their schedule to ask questions um, and, you know, allow those sort of if you will, awkward questions to be asked. You know, something as simple as making sure, you know, you start your onboarding before they even show up, like you probably do with most um, most candidates. But, you know, military people are very uncomfortable knowing what kind of clothing to wear. Oh, right. I mean, you just, there's so many little things yeah. that you just take for granted because my husband, he's a character, you know, uh, for we've been married 10 years and uh, he still says to me, honey, what should I wear? You know, because because he's just got this 
it's still, I mean, it's getting better at it, but you know, when, when you know what you're supposed to wear every day to work, you, you don't want to stick out and be awkward in a, in a, in a work setting or a social yeah. setting, you know, um, encouraging your team to listen to the new hire as much as the new hire is willing to talk to, uh, recognize them, uh, during military holidays, I encourage every company, whether you're small, medium, or large, to have some process, some way for military people to get together, people who are serving or have served, right? A way for them to gather, to support one another, and maybe even to you know, offer them the opportunity to have a voice about what's going on in the workforce. And engage them in every aspect of the veteran employment life cycle. Take a veteran to a job fair with you if you're hoping to meet veteran candidates or if it's your or if you're at a specific uh, veteran recruiting event. Invite a veteran to participate in an interview. Invite the veteran to look at the resume ahead of time if you're confused about applicability. What does this stuff mean, right? And then clearly uh, put together a a veteran employee resource group, an ERG, a BRG, whatever you might want to call it, because that's a more formal diversity, equity, and inclusion program that um, can can really offer that veteran the camaraderie and the voice and the professional development, right, That, that will help them succeed as an employee and help the company leverage their skill sets. So that's kind of a, a high level overview, but you know, I recommend you know not making this just a piece of paper, but an, a, a dynamic process that that really meets the individual needs um, of that of that candidate. Because you know what, <clears throat> unemployment is so low in some states, and there's such a demand for there's such a war on talent that once you get this veteran talent. Ladies and gentlemen, roll up your sleeves and make sure make sure you keep them. Don't don't do those exit interviews. Do those stay interviews, right? Yeah. Ask them the questions. How are you feeling connected at work? You know, what can I do to, you know, help you feel uh, feel more connected and that that connectivity is it's just super important for a, a, a military a service member, veteran or a military spouse, people who move all the time and are mm-hmm. adapting to new environments. So one thing that I want to, uh, you know, go back to and address is how you mentioned that veterans have trouble asking for help. And you kind of answered it by saying communication really helps in the workplace. But, you know, what what are some ways that HR leaders can look out for veterans in the workplace and kind of recognize the fact that they need help, um, you know, since they're reluctant to ask? Well, if, if, if I may, let's go back to the interview process here for a minute. Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of the same thing, but I think it's an important point I wanted to uh, not miss. And that is that veterans don't know how to self-promote very well, right? You know, when you come into an interview, you have to talk about your strengths, how to distinguish yourself from other candidates and answer the questions in a star format, which, you know, most of us have never heard about, Right. Um, and so, and, 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 and oftentimes they are potentially uncomfortable initiating conversation. 
unless unless they've been you know out of the service for a while, they may become more conversational. So anything during the interview process to start with that you can do to make them help them feel relaxed and to encourage them to talk about themselves and you know ask those behaviorally oriented questions you know making sure that you don't ask yes no questions because that's that may be all you get right <laughs> you may get a head nod or yes yeah. no um, it's it's not that it's not that our uh, it's not that veteran talent, you know, it's not that they're robots or unthinking. It's just military bearing. And it's, and it's, it's a really important in the military because that's how the mission functions. That's how the mission is accomplished best when everybody knows their role and everybody has appropriate military bearing so that, you know, time isn't wasted and, um, and the, and the job gets, uh, is successfully done. So, when you prepare for the interview, I encourage you to, you know, maybe talk to a veteran or in your current employment, make sure you look at those military skills translators, you know, attempt to have a small talk with them at the beginning and, and let them know that, you know, you really want to get to know them because, you know, they're interviewing you as much as we're interviewing them. You know what I mean? We're interviewing each other to see if there's a good, uh, a good cultural match. And so we really want to get to know you as a person. Uh, you could offer, you don't need, you know, please call me by my first name. Um, you know, tell me about yourself uh, personally and professionally. I mean, that's oftentimes a, a beginning conversation. So, so let's, let's shift now to, you know, now you've hired this veteran. I think, I think, a really important strategy, Lindsay, is to connect that new hire to other veterans so that they do have a an immediate support system, someone who knows them pretty well, someone who it notices if they don't show up to work or if they seem to be terribly, you know, you know, stressed or or, you know, just, you know, struggling uh, during the transition it's probably hard for you know all the HR people to have strong personal relationships with these folks, but if you have an onboarding system that let's say requires you know you know once a week I'm going to stop by and I'm going to have a, an eyeball to eyeball conversation with this person and kind of get a gauge for how you think they're coping, and then you know touching base with their uh, veteran and or civilian I'll just call them sponsors. Just, you know, uh, taking interest in them, being aware, you know, noticing whether or not they're missing work. Um, you know, the other important thing that you can do is, is allow the allow them to take time off of work for for doctor's appointments and certainly protect their privacy. And again, it's not that every veteran hire is, you know, um, going to need time away from work, but just doing whatever you can. I like to say, I like to say, you know, this, this isn't rocket science. This is people science, you know, lead, lead with your heart, lead with your compassion. And, you know, if you don't know something uh, about the military or what they're talking about, or, you know, just, just admit it and say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't really understand, you know, please, please explain this to me because, you know, if you role, if you role model that behavior, if you role model that that vulnerability that, you know, I, I'm not really sure, you know, what to ask you or how to support you best, you know, please, you know, help me understand how to do that. 
well, that may very well, you know, build that bridge and um, encourage the, the veteran to do the same. Mm-hmm. So, so being aware, involved, uh, recognizing people on holidays, um, just checking in, you know, being a being a good person, being a friend, and um, you know, expecting them to do their job, of course, holding them accountable. Um, but I, I think that's that's a reasonable way to answer that question. If you do. <laughs> Yeah, I have a theory that, you know, everyone wants to contribute, they want to do well. And I think, you know, we all want to participate in work that is fulfilling. So when you like you mentioned, when there are absences, that's a sign that something is wrong. And that employee is not, you know, it's not clicking, or they're not being fulfilled. And then that's on the leader to say, hey, what's going on? But, uh, you know, I, I really try to stay abreast of, you know, HR podcasts and HR, you know, periodicals. And I love the idea of doing stay interviews and, and asking those um, substantive questions, not just how you're doing, but but are you feeling connected here? What can I do to 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 help you with that? I think that's um, really very helpful. And oh, the other piece is provide constructive feedback. Yes. Okay. Do not be afraid to say, look, I think you missed the boat here, you know, or you might want to consider X, Y, or Z, or, you know, I understand that in the military, you know, y'all can kind of be kind of direct, but, you know, you may have noticed that Sarah may not have received that direct comment very well. Oh, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? They, they, you know, we all we all need coaching, and whether you're in uniform or not, you know, we all have blind spots, yeah. right? <laughs> and so, if and, and in the military, um, <laughs> you receive feedback. Okay, we we get feedback. Some some loved, some not so loved. But please do do the veteran in honor of 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 facilitating their success. Like you said, Lindsay, you know, promote their ability to contribute. And if there's something that's getting in the way, by golly, tell them about it, right? Gently, of course, appropriately, respectfully, but, you know, don't let it go uncommunicated. Yeah. I mean, it's much easier to check in with a current employee than fire them and hire a new one and think that'll change things. And that and that's expensive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kathy, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I have just loved your insight. I think it's so important to our audience. Um, and I think that, you know, as far as underserved communities, a lot of people don't really understand how much potential veterans have in the workplace. And so that's why this episode is so important uh, to us. So thank you so much. Um, and before we we part, what is the best way people can get in touch with you? And do you have any final parting words? Lindsay, I'm so grateful you took the time to share this very important message. You, by doing this, are certainly a veteran champion. So thank you for that. Um, vet- veterans really do bring a lot, not only to the workforce, as I've described, but research also shows that in the communities in which they live, they are civic assets because they do, it's in our DNA to serve. So I would love to stay in touch with you, Lindsay, and with your listeners. If you'd like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website, vanguardveteran.com. If you look for under what we do, 
for veteran ready employers, you will find a veteran ready assessment that you can take for free. And then I encourage you to email that to me and we'll have a a free consultation. But my hope and desire is that I could come alongside you and really help you do well at sourcing, hiring, and retaining this talent that will strengthen your workforce. And last, I hope you will read my book called Beyond Thank You for Your Service, the Veteran Champion Handbook for Civilians. It's on Amazon. Chapter four is all about employers, but there's a lot of other great chapters and that chapter that really give practical tips on how an employer or any citizen can be an everyday hero, join the veteran champion movement, and be a part of the win. I invite each and every one of you to do that. My fingers are crossed that you will be part of many book clubs soon. (laughs) Thank you again, Kathy. Again, my name is Lindsay. I'm the host of People Analytics Podcast. If you or anyone you know is like Kathy, who wants better workplace environment for veterans or other underserved communities, employees in general, feel free to reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.